Hello and welcome to Mr. Mar's History Podcast. Google Mr. Mar History to get more help with Nationals Higher and Advanced Higher History. In today's lesson, we will discuss the social reforms that were introduced by the Liberal governments between 1906 and 1914 and the extent of the impact and improvements that these brought about. The 1906-1914 Liberal government introduced change that affected five main groups. This was the elderly, young people, the sick, the unemployed and also workers. Before the 20th century, the British government generally did very little which would help poorer or other vulnerable people. Society was organised at a laissez-faire idea, the idea that it was not the government's job to interfere in people's lives and that they should instead work to fix their own problems. However, by the start of the 1900s, this idea had began to shift. There were more and more people in the country who believed that the government should help and stop people in particular having to rely on the hated and feared poorhouse, which was a place that the very poorest would go often until their dying day to get basic help. Let's then consider the changes and the extent that they did or perhaps didn't fully address the problems. Possibly the most prominent group which was helped was the elderly. Before the Liberals introduced changes, many old people were so poor that they simply could not afford to retire. This meant that they had to work till they dropped, or live in extremely poor final years, often relying on charity or families. However, in 1908, the Liberal government introduced the Old Age Pension Act, which brought pensions into Britain for the first time. And by 1914, 970,000 people were receiving this benefit, people who previously would have had no income. Old age pensions gave people who were 70 and over a weekly income. This ranged from one shilling, equivalent to five pence, up to five shillings, equivalent to 25 pence. Married couples would receive seven shillings and six pence, around 37 pence. Pensioners with an income over 60 pence or more each week would receive no pension. Pensions were available at 70, but one of the problems was that in 1911, the average man only lived to around age 49 and the average woman only lived to around 50, suggesting that most people would never be old enough to get this. In addition, a poverty study conducted at the time suggested that a single pensioner needed an income of around 35 pence each week in order to avoid poverty, but the pension was only worth a maximum of 25 pence. It's also worth noting that not everybody could actually claim pensions. Groups who were excluded included people such as those who'd been in prison in the previous two years or pensioners that had not worked enough in their working life. It's clear, therefore, that whilst some people benefited, there were limitations to the support given to the elderly. Young people were another group that were supported by the Liberals. They'd faced many problems, including poverty, problems in education and also dangerous working conditions. In 1906, newly elected MPs began pushing for the government to introduce school meals. They said that if the government had made school attendance compulsory, they should ensure children were well fed as well. And therefore in 1906, the Provision of School Meals Act was passed. This let councils raise local taxes to pay for school meals if they chose to do so. However, only poor children would be eligible for these meals. Although this helped because in some cases it gave more people the chance to eat each day, 
In fact, it only gave people the option to introduce the school meals. Most councils in Britain would not do so. The law was introduced in 1906, and by 1911, less than one-third of councils in Britain had done so. Eventually, in 1914, the government made the law compulsory, and they also agreed to pay some of the costs, suggesting an improvement. Another problem with school meals was that even those who received it would only receive it when they were at school. They would still go hungry at weekends and over the holidays, and researchers found that children's weight and development slowed significantly during holiday periods. A step that the Liberals introduced which would improve children's health was that of health inspections. Before 1907, inspectors would visit some schools to perform around three inspections, checking for things such as cleanliness and eye problems. However, not every child would get this, and even if they got the inspection, they would not get medical treatment. In 1907, the Liberals introduced compulsory medical inspections for school children, and this meant that every child would be checked at least three times during their school life to identify any health problems. However, again, although children would receive um, an inspection, they would not actually get treatment. It wouldn't be until 1912 until free basic medical care was introduced for children that helped fix at least some of the problems. Children also faced problems because they had very little protections for some of the dangers which existed in society. The 1908 Children's Act aimed to change this by introducing a variety of rules that could protect children, especially the very poorest. This included rules such as a minimum wage for people to drink alcohol and smoke, which was 16. It also took children out of the adult um, criminal system in setting up instead juvenile courts and borstals instead of prison. Although in theory there were a variety of improvements that would have helped children included in this, the reality was not all of the rules were introduced in 1908, and in addition it was very difficult to enforce. For instance, the law may have said that children under 16 could not buy alcohol or smoke, but as now, it was difficult to ensure that was being carried out. In 1907, the government tried to improve school attendance by introducing scholarships to attend secondary schools. At this point, it was only compulsory for young people to attend schools at primary level, and many children could not afford to continue beyond this. However, after 1907, poor children that passed an exam could have their school fees paid for them, and around 25% of school places were reserved for such scholarships. There is little question that this policy did help poor students that passed the exam. However, it was generally of little benefit to most poor students, who ultimately would not pass this and yet would not benefit from secondary education. In addition, even some children who did pass the exam would not take up the offer as their families could not afford for them to be in education full-time as they needed them to work. Another group that the Liberals helped, therefore, was the sick. In 1911, there was no national health service. Someone who was sick either had to pay for the treatment themselves, which few could afford, or they had to rely on some of the charity which existed at the time. Illness meant huge financial problems, as often people could not work when they were sick. Therefore, in 1911, Part 1 of the National Insurance Act was introduced, based on experiences of a similar scheme in Germany. This created a so-called sick pay scheme. Workers would pay four pence each week when they were working, and if the worker was too sick to work, they were paid up to 50 pence a week for 13 weeks, 
and then 25 pence a week for the next 13 weeks. This was often known as the 4 pence for 9 pence because a worker would pay 4 pence, their employer would pay 3 pence and the government would pay 2 pence, meaning that the majority of the money that went in did not come from the worker. People who received sick pay were also eligible for basic healthcare treatment as well and this allowed them to see a doctor and be treated for illnesses including tuberculosis, all of which were huge benefits. However, sick pay did not solve all problems. For one, it was only paid for 26 weeks, being reduced after 13 weeks, meaning that any workers who were sick for six months or longer would not receive support. In addition, women received less than men. Women would gain 35 pence maximum, and this was a huge problem for families where women were the major or only earner. Part 2 of the National Insurance Act related to unemployment. This introduced unemployment insurance for the first time. Workers would pay 2.5 pence each week, but then receive 7 shillings, 35 pence a week, for 15 weeks of the year if they lost their job. However, there were huge problems with this. Although it gave some people an income in the face of unemployment, most people were not actually covered, including women. It only covered those in often seasonal work, such as construction, shipbuilding and engineering. In addition, the cover would only last for 15 weeks, after which time a worker got nothing. Many people complained that although women had to contribute to this, they were not eligible, and there were anti-campaigns at the time, which contrasted those of hard-working women with men who would be paid effectively to be unemployed and drink. Another action that the Liberals took to help the unemployed was the introduction of labour exchanges, which are similar to modern-day job centres. Before these were introduced, there was not one single place people could go to find out about work. They would often have to work all around different workplaces looking for a job. A hugely time-consuming and often disappointing task. With the introduction of labour exchanges, people knew there was one place they could go to find out information about jobs in the area, and by 1914, around 3,000 people each day got a job through the exchanges. However, many people, including trade unions, opposed labour exchanges. They believed that this might attract workers from elsewhere in the country to come in, which would lower average wages. And ultimately, only around 25% of people that went to the labour exchanges would find work, suggesting they had limited value. Another group helped by the Liberals was that of workers, although generally only certain groups. Working conditions in the early 1900s were very poor. Workers were expected to labour for long hours, and they faced huge health and safety problems in different jobs. The Liberals attempted to improve the problem of working hours with different changes. In 1908, a maximum working day of eight hours was introduced for minors. This was important because it helped reduce the accidents which were associated with longer working hours. And in 1911, the Shops Act got limited working hours to 60 hours per week for shop assistants and also guaranteed them a half day off each week. This action was taken because the previous voluntary measures which had been introduced had been largely ignored. However, this was of limited value to most workers. It only helped shop workers and minors who did not benefit most people. And in addition, even workers who did benefit would still face very long hours in difficult working conditions. Another major problem from the time was that of low wages. Most workers 
did not earn a huge amount, but the sweated trades, which included tailoring and lace making in particular, suffered very harsh working conditions and low wages. The 1909 Trade Boards Act tried to set minimum wages, helping around 200,000 workers. However, ultimately, most employers were not obliged to stick by these, so they did not actually introduce the minimum income. Even when minimum wages were implemented, they were often set at a hugely low level, which meant that they were of little value. A final problem that workers faced was that of very poor workplace safety. In particular, if a worker was injured, they would get very little help if they were injured at work. The 1906 Workmen's Compensation Act let 6 million more workers claim for different injuries and diseases, and by doing this, it encouraged employers to improve safety rather than face challenge in the courts. However, although workers may have been eligible to get compensation, some of them could never do this. It was very expensive and difficult to go to court to get this money, and although members of trade unions could be given support, not all workers were members, or indeed were they allowed to be.